You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, church. You heard, heard me the second time. All right, good. So good to be here with you. My name is Ronnie Cannon. I serve as the family life pastor here at East Point. I'm just glad to be here with you this morning. Thanks for coming out. Today we're going to be in our Bibles in Mark chapter 9. All right, Mark chapter 9. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me there. And while you're turning there, I have a question for you, church. I'm curious, what are the you should have seen it moments in your life? The you should have seen it moments in your life. And you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like the, the Cal Ripken Jr. 1995 trotting around Camden Yards with a stadium packed full of fans on their feet, just breaking the consecutive games record set by Lou Gehrig. You should have seen it, right? Slightly smaller scale, right? The 2001 South Carolina Mustangs in the Pop Warner Championship game. Ronnie Cannon on the field. We win the game, not due to Ronnie Cannon, but I was there. Go undefeated on the season in front of 20 to 30 parents and siblings. You should have seen it. Or nervous Ronnie Cannon sitting on the beach next to his beautiful girlfriend, Mary Frank. Googling on his phone what, what ring to put the what hand to put the ring on and then stuttering through the words, Will you marry me? She said yes. But you should have seen it. And so we, we look at our Bibles and, and we have those you should have seen it moments in the Bible, those moments where we just wish we were there, that we wish we would have saw it. Like when God, when he delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt and, and parted the Red Sea so they could walk on dry land. You should have seen it. Or when Ezekiel prophesies in a valley of, of dry bones and an army of dry bones comes to life. You should have seen it. You should have seen it. And so the disciples, they're going to have another one of those you should have seen it moments today. On numerous accounts, they've seen Jesus work these miracles, these you-should-have-seen-it moments. And through their eyes today, we're going to see that behind the veil of Jesus' humanity is God and all His glory. And it's important that we understand this, right? It's important that we get this. Because if we don't get this, then we don't get Christianity. If we don't get this, then we don't get Jesus. If we don't get this, then we don't get salvation. Behind the veil of Jesus' humanity is God in all His glory. So Mark chapter 9, verse 1. And He said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. 
And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with him, with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked, they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to him, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with content? But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased. As it is written of them. And so we pick up where we left off last week. right? Remember last week Jesus and his disciples are having this conversation. It's kind of a big conversation. Right? If you recall... This is when, when Peter, something clicks for Peter, and he, he confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, God's anointed one. And then Jesus tells them that, that he's going to suffer, that Jesus himself is going to suffer, he's going to be rejected, that he's going to die and rise again. And of course, Peter doesn't like all the, the death talk, right? And so he rebukes Jesus. Jesus rebukes Peter for rebuking, rebuking Jesus. Everybody's rebuking. Right? And, then, and then Jesus, he tells his disciples that as he suffered, if they follow him, if they choose to follow him, that they too will suffer. If you want to live your life with Jesus as he suffered, so will you. And so on the heels of that news, Jesus ends the conversation with his disciples says, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And so he ends the conversation with a glimmer of hope. He, sa he says that some of his disciples standing there right before him will see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that, that Jesus so inseparably bounds to himself throughout the gospel of Mark. They will see that. With their own eyes. And so the conversation ends. And, and for six days, Jesus' disciples are, are left to, to process all that they've just heard. Rejection, suffering, death. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. So here the, the disciples see the deity behind the humanity. They see Jesus' deity behind his humanity. And so the six days go by. Mark doesn't tell us what happens during those six days. But Jesus invites three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he invites them up a mountain on a hiking trip. Right? I wonder what's going through their mind. Right? Because last time, last time, the three of them exclusively got invited to tag along with Jesus. 
They went into Jairus' house. This man, Jairus, they entered his house. They went into the room of Jairus' 12-year-old daughter, 12-year-old deceased daughter, and they watched as Jesus took the hand of his 12-year-old deceased daughter and raised her to life. Now it was happening again. An exclusive invitation from Jesus. But this time they weren't going into a town. They weren't going into a home. They were going up a mountain. Things happen in mountains. Things happen in mountains. I spent two years of my college career in the mountains of West Virginia. Right? I've seen things. Things happen. In mountains. It was on Mount Sinai where God descended in a glorious cloud on the mountain to meet with Moses, and he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. It was on a mountain, Mount Carmel, where, where God met, called Elijah, and Elijah witnessed the power of God before his very eyes as God sent fire down from the sky, proving to the prophets of Baal that he and he alone was God. It was on Mount Horeb where Elijah was in the presence of God and heard the, the, the small, low whisper of God's voice. Things happen in mountains. But what happened this time? What would happen now? What were the disciples about to see? The man that's healed the blind, he's healed the lame, he's cast out demons in numerous towns around the region. He's now making a pit stop. In the mountains. And so Jesus and his three disciples, they they head up the mountain, they ascend high into the mountain. And that's when it happens. All all of a sudden, Jesus' clothes, they they change, they, they become radiant. Like polished metal, reflecting the the sunlight, blinding your eyes. Jesus' clothes become radiant. He says that, that they became white. Intensely white. As no one on earth could bleach them. Like Mark doesn't leave any confusion here. Right? In, in the original language it says no, like no launderer, no professional laundry person could bleach them. Not Mr. Clean, not OxyClean, not Grandma. No human could get clothes this clean. What they were witnessing was supernatural. This was not just a change of outfit, though. Like, Jesus didn't just put down his, his hiking stick, reach into his hiking backpack, and pull out some intensely white clothes and slip them on in front of the disciples. It was more than that. Mark says that Jesus transfigured. Literally, he, he changed form. He changed form. The Greek word Mark uses is metamorphal. Metamorphal, from which we get our English word metamorphosis. So how a a caterpillar, though a radically different looking being than a butterfly is the same being of the butterfly it will change into. Or a tadpole, though looks radically different from a frog, it's the same being. Though it was the same Jesus, Jesus had changed form, he had changed appearance. This man, there no longer stood a man before the disciples, no, there was where Jesus once stood, there was now this radiant being. This radiant, glorious 
being. Matthew says in his account of the transfiguration, he says his face shone like the sun. Who was this? In the book of Daniel, the prophet records a vision in which he says, as I looked, thrones were placed in the ancient of days. God himself took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. In Psalm 104, it says, O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty covering yourself with light as with a garment. Jesus presented himself to his three disciples that day the same way God presents himself throughout the Old Testament in the purity of of glorious, brilliant light. High up on the mountain, Jesus lifts the veil in front of his disciples and with their own eyes they see the deity behind Jesus' humanity. This Jesus that they've been following is not merely a man. So the disciples are in awe. And understandably, they're a little bit dumbfounded, right? They're a little confused. Like, what on earth is happening? Let's not overlook what happens next. Mark says, And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed him, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, and listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And so here we see Jesus as the beloved son of the Father. Jesus, the beloved son of the Father, And so there, right before the eyes of the disciples, Jesus is is in radiant, glorious splendor. But he's not alone. He's got two historical figures from the Old Testament with him, two historical figures that that Jesus' Jewish disciples would have been thoroughly familiar with. Moses. Moses, the man that God called up into the mountains and and delivered the, the Ten Commandments. Moses, the man that God used to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt into the promised land, almost into the promised land. Elijah, Elijah, the prophet that God used to boldly speak out against the the false religions of his day. Elijah, the, the, the one who he spoke and God used his power to to raise a widow's son to life. Elijah and Moses, the disciples were in good company. But these two men weren't just historical figures. See, see the Jews expected the Jews expected that Elijah would return. And they expected that Elijah's return would mark the, the end of the age. That it would be a precursor to when the Messiah, God's anointed one, came. That's why if you remember last week, if you remember last week's passage, people on the street thought that maybe Jesus was Elijah. Maybe this man was Elijah. 
And other people were expecting a prophet like Moses to return. That's what, that's what it says in the Old Testament. That at the end of the age, the prophet, a prophet like Moses would return. And so maybe that's why others thought that Jesus was a prophet. He was one of the prophets. These two historical figures weren't just historical figures, they were messianic figures, marking the beginning of the end of the age. And so in this, in this moment, the, the disciples, they're seeing all of this unfold before their eyes, right? How would you feel, right? Like a little bit nervous, right? Heart might beat a little fast, stomach in knots, a little, little afraid, maybe a little out of place, right? It's it, kind of like the conversation, like you're in your boss's office, Right, you're in your boss's office, he gets a phone call, and, and you don't know, like, it, do I leave? Do I leave while he's taking this phone call? Because if, if I stay here, it kind of seems like I'm eavesdropping, all right? Right? Probably felt a little out of place. How would you feel? The disciples were terrified. Mark says they were terrified, exceedingly frightened. Frightened out of their wits. Paralyzed with fear, they were speechless. Except for Peter. Mark says Peter was so afraid, in fact, he didn't know what to say. But we've seen in the past that that knowing what to say is not a prerequisite for Peter of actually speaking. Right? Anybody else? I'm just going to open my mouth. Whatever comes out, comes out. And so Peter speaks, and we we don't have to look at Mark's commentary. We don't have to look at Mark's commentary to to see that Peter didn't really know what to say. Right? Like we can just look at Peter's words himself. He said, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He says, Rabbi, teacher, He's just witnessed Jesus radiating God's glory all over the mountain that they're on. He says, Rabbi. Right? A little underwhelming. Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Duh. <laughs> like Jesus, like, thank you. Thank you for this experience. Lovely day up here on this mountain. It's a pleasure that you... We were just glad that you've invited us, Lord. Thank you for introducing us to your friends. Very nice guys. Good experience, Jesus. Thank you. Right? Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let's make each of you a tent. Boy Scout Peter is like Jesus. I don't, want, I don't want you and your two friends here to get sunburnt like we're high up in this mountain, you know, UV rays and stuff like that. Like, y'all need some shelter. Let me make you some tents. But before Peter runs off and grabs some sticks and twigs and leaves to make his Eagle Scout project, Mark says that a cloud overshadows the mountain. It engulfs them, it envelops them. All of them. But this was no ordinary cloud. 
Now, this is the same cloud that descended on Mount Sinai with shaking thunder, lightning, and fire when God gave Moses. speaks, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Anybody wonder, wonder how Peter felt here? Peter just went out on a limb, right? Threw himself out there. Just threw an idea out there, like, Jesus, let me make you some cute little tents. All right, you guys need shelter, you need cover, and then, and then God comes in, a cloud comes in with the very presence of God and, and covers them on a mountain. Peter was outdone. Not only that, like, Peter seemingly misses the whole, like, Jesus radiating God's glory thing. Right? He seemingly puts Elijah and Moses on par, on the same level as Jesus. Right? The same, the same level as Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. He's like, he's like, let me make my cute little tents for all three of you. But God speaks up. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. And the cloud moves on out of the darkness of the clouds. They can now, the disciples can now see. And they only see one person, and that one person is Jesus. Only Jesus remains because all those Moses once met with God and after meeting with God, his face reflected the glory of God. The glory of God was in Jesus. Only Jesus remains because although Moses freed God's people from slavery in Egypt, Jesus would free God's people from the slavery of sin. Only Jesus remains because although God used Elijah to display his power, the power of God was in Jesus. Only Jesus remains because although God used Elijah to call sinners to repent and to turn from their their sins, only through Jesus would sinners experience complete and permanent forgiveness of sins. Yes, Moses and Elijah pointed to the coming Messiah, but they were precursors. They were forerunners. There is only one Messiah, only one Son of God, and Peter, James, and John, he is standing before you. This is my beloved Son. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And so there's many voices out there. There's many thoughts out there that that all roads lead to God. All, All religions lead to God. Hindu gods. Muhammad. They're just doing the right thing, just behaving the right way, saying the right thing, accepting people. That leads to God. But none of those religions, our self-righteousness, our good works, our good thoughts, our good deeds, none of those were on the mountain. They weren't even there. The cloud clears and it's just Jesus. This is my beloved son. This is the way to God. And so the cloud moves on. Jesus has returned to like the worn clothes, dirty sandal Jesus that they walked up the mountain with. 
And so they descend down the mountain. Listen to this, verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with content? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And so we've seen the deity behind Jesus' humanity. We've seen that he's the beloved Son of the Father. Now we see the suffering before the glory. The suffering before the glory. Jesus and the three disciples, they, they head back down the mountain. As we've seen so many times before, Jesus tells his disciples, tell no one. Tell no one what you just witnessed. And we've seen it in the past as Jesus does these miracles. He charges them to tell no one. And we saw it last week when, when Peter confessed to Jesus as the Messiah, as the anointed one. He charged him to tell no one. But it's different this time. You see that in, in verse 9? You see the difference? All the, all the other times, there was an indefinite amount of silence. Just tell no one. This time he gives them a time limit. He says, until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. I mean, why would they be permitted to tell anyone something that they still didn't fully understand? Right? They didn't understand what was happening yet. They'd confessed Jesus was the Messiah, but they didn't know all that entailed. Mark says they were confused. And understandably so. For one, why would Jesus need to die? Right? They've just, they've just witnessed Jesus in all his radiant glory. The glory of God. Why would he need to die? Like Jesus. I, like Jesus, I know what you said six days ago. No, we heard it. You know, the suffering, rejection, death. You know, I, you, know you, got, you got your plan. This is better. Jesus, the glory. Let's stay with this plan. All right, let's just stay here, Jesus. They didn't understand. But in God's plan, suffering would come before glory. Suffering would come before glory. That's one. And for two, they couldn't make the sense of what this resurrection that Jesus was talking about was. They expected a resurrection. All the Jews expected. At the end of the age, they anticipated, they, they knew that all, everyone, everyone that was dead would be raised to life. They expected that. But it seems here like Jesus is talking about a personal resurrection, an individual resurrection himself until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. There was no room in their theology for an individual resurrection. There's no room in their theology for, for the Messiah suffering and, and dying. And so they were confused. And Mark tells us that they kept it to themselves. That they, they talked about it no longer. They, they just swept it under the rug. But so, uh, another question gets raised. 
Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come, Jesus? And Mark doesn't tell us exactly what raised the question in their minds, but they they had come to realize that Jesus was the Messiah. And so if the Messiah was here, if Jesus was the Messiah and they believed that he was, and that meant that the end of the age was approaching, then Jesus, where is Elijah? Shouldn't Elijah already turn? That's what the return, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. That's how the Old Testament ends. With this, with this hope that God will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And that's what the scribes, that's what their Jewish teachers had taught them. So Jesus, where is Elijah? And look how Jesus responds. Verse verse 12, he, he says, I don't know, boys. Go ask your mother. He says, enough with the questions. He says, why don't you understand yet? No. He doesn't say any of that. He responds to their their question. Here we see Jesus' patience with his disciples. His patience with his followers, his, his gentle heart, his kindness. All along he's been showing them signs of who he is. We would think after now they'd get it. But you've got to remember, we're on the other side of this. They hadn't seen a resurrected Jesus. They didn't fully understand, but Jesus is patient with them. And maybe if you're like me, some of you need to hear that Jesus is patient with his disciples. That you don't have to understand everything. That you don't have to have all the answers to everything. That he, that he walks with you. That he goes at your pace until, until you understand. Jesus is patient with his followers. And so Jesus affirms them. Right? Like the disciples, got, they got it right. All right? They got it right. Elijah does come. He says, actually, he's come already. And you know what? They, they did to him whatever they pleased. Who's he talking about? And if you go to Matthew's account of the transfiguration, Matthew tells us that the disciples knew then who he was talking about. When Jesus said they did to him whatever they pleased, they knew right then who, Je- who Jesus was talking about. The one baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The messenger whose voice cried out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The faithful messenger of God who was murdered at the hands of Herod. Elijah had come. The one who was to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. Elijah had come and it was John the Baptist. 
and he suffered. And he was rejected. And he died. And now Jesus links Elijah, John the Baptist's suffering, to his own suffering. Just as John suffered and was treated with contempt, so too would Jesus, a fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus, the servant and the, the despised and, and rejected by men. Jesus, the stone, the cornerstone that the builders rejected. Though Jesus' disciples got a, a glimpse of his radiant glory on the mountain, his words from six, six days prior still rang true. He would suffer. For God's plan to save people to work. Like Jesus would have to suffer. He would have to die. And you realize that what they saw on this mountain, the Jesus that they saw on this mountain is the the Jesus that that came from heaven. This is the Jesus that existed from all eternity. This is what he gave up to come to earth as a baby, live as a human, die as a human. That's what he gave up. But the Savior must suffer. And suffering comes before glory. See, the disciples saw for a moment Jesus not in his humanity, but as God in all his glory. For a moment they saw not the Jesus that emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, but the Jesus who was in the form of God, who was equal to God. For a moment they did not see Jesus, the man, but the heir of all things, through whom the world was created. For a moment, they saw the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. For a moment, they saw the almighty Son of God who upholds the universe by the word of his power. For a moment, they saw the highly exalted God whose name is above every name and at which whose name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For a moment, as Jesus quickly lifted the veil, his disciples saw behind the veil Jesus' humanity is God in all his glory. Behind the veil of Jesus' humanity is God in all his glory. It was just a moment. Just a glorious moment. It's God's plan to rescue you and I. His plan to rescue the world unfolded. The glorious son of God who humbled himself, who put on flesh, would suffer and he'd be rejected and he'd die. He'd be killed. The one whose garments were whiter than anyone on earth could bleach them. He would still face the cross. Though there was glory on the mountain, there'd still be suffering in the valley. And despite what the disciples saw that day, it still was true. As Jesus would suffer, so too would his disciples. Church, the, the, the question, question I have for you today is this. Is this the Jesus you see? Is this the Jesus you see? When, when you look at Jesus, do you see God in all his glory? Do you see a God, a glorious God who willingly came to earth, who willingly suffered to save his people that he loved so much because they couldn't save themselves? Is this the Jesus you see? I see, despite some of the, the bad theology out there, 
but that would make us believe that, that when you become a Christian, life is all of a sudden just rainbows and butterflies. Being a Christian doesn't mean that, that everything will go well. The moment you confess Jesus as Lord does not mean that everything in life will go well for you. On this earth, there will still be disease and sickness. On this earth, there will still be grief. Being a Christian doesn't mean that, that your bank account will never run dry. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you will be successful, that everything that you do will, will turn to gold. In fact, simply for being a Christian, choosing to follow Jesus, it'll bring its own suffering. And some of you have seen it yourself. Rejection from, from relatives. Exclusion from, from friends. Labeled this, labeled that. Ridiculed for your beliefs. Thought of as a bigot. Singled out at work. Passed up for job opportunities. Serving and serving and serving and serving. Pouring out and pouring out. Exhausted. If, we all, if all we see is Jesus' humanity, if that's all we see, as beautiful and as perfect as that was, is that worth it? Is the suffering worth it? Do you see a Jesus who lived a remarkable life with, with perfect character, one whom we should model our lives after? Good. You see a Jesus who was an amazing teacher making clear lessons on morality and how to, how to live a, a good life. Good. Do you see Jesus as a, as a, a man who pointed people to God, who, who called out the false religions and the, the hypocrisy of his day? Good. But is that all you see? A good man a good teacher, a good preacher. Friends, a man of good character can't save you. A good teacher can't save you. A good preacher can't save you. But the Jesus who lived as a human, taught as a human, preached as a human, unveiled himself high up on that mountain in front of his three disciples. And he saw that behind the veil of Jesus' humanity was God in all his glory. Friends, God can save you. Jesus can save you. That's the Jesus that can save you. But yet what the, the disciples didn't understand is the extent he would go to to do it. That he would die, that he would be nailed to a cross, beaten, mocked, ridiculed, to save his people from 
their sins. He is the Jesus who is deity, not just human. He is the Jesus who is the beloved son of the Father. He is the Jesus who was willing to suffer before glory. And he is the Jesus who behind his humanity is God in all his glory. Is that the Jesus you see? Let's pray. Father, we, we come to, the, to you this morning and we, we just love you. You're glorious, Father. The human words to express it don't, don't even exist, Father. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he died for our sins. We thank you that he, he gave up that glory to, to live 33 years in this world perfectly and to die for our sins. Father, help us to see that. Help us to see your glory as, as your disciples saw it up on that mountain that day. Father, help us to see your glory all around us. Help us to see your glory as people's lives are changed as they surrender their lives to you, Jesus. Father, let us never forget your glory. Let us never forget the glory of your Son. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.